Thanks for tuning into the Texas Family Law Podcast, where we provide you tips and insight to help you navigate divorce and child custody situations. This is Brian Walters. And I'm Jake Gilbreth. We are the managing partners at Walters Gilbreth PLLC with offices in Houston, Austin, and Dallas. And we're both board certified in family law by the Texas Board of Legal Specialization. Your hosts are broadcasting from the Lone Star State of Texas, where both have earned a reputation as fierce and effective advocates, both inside and outside the courtroom. About the issue of debt and how debt is handled uh, by the court in a divorce. And as a reminder, the in a divorce, the judge is going to be the one dividing up the property and the liabilities of the estate. And a lot of questions that we have with clients is when they come to us with debt, be it something that's secured, like a mortgage, or unsecured, like a credit card, or a loan from a family member, or something like that, is how is that going to be handled in divorce? And and I think what's important to remember, and what we try to remind our clients when we talk to them, is you know, divorces overall, when you're dealing with property an attempt to develop a spreadsheet. Develop a spreadsheet with all the assets and liabilities on there. And when we're building that spreadsheet, because the court's going to use a spreadsheet to divide up the estate, we're trying to determine, first of all, what's the character of things? Is it community or is it separate property? And then the value of things. And then after that, we're just moving columns on a spreadsheet to make a just and right division. So I guess, Brian, talking about from your perspective, whenever you have clients come in and let's say they're coming to you and they're saying, we've got credit card debt, and it's in my husband's name, it's not in my name, or I've got a student loan, and it's in my name, but it's taken out during the marriage. What is it the first thing that you tell clients when dealing with a, a, a divorce that, even if the estate itself is an upside down, that they have lots of liabilities to deal with? What, what are you saying in the initial consultation? A couple of things. It kind of depends on you know their specific situation, but for, for most most Americans, um, a, disa- a divorce is a financial disaster. Um, you, know, you, you have most Americans live you know, paycheck to paycheck, have a decent amount or a lot of credit card debt, and, and you know they can and they're now they're getting ready to go their separate ways, and nobody wants the debt. And so you know that's that's the first thing I I try to address, which is sort of what you you mentioned, which is just to get kind of a general sense of what that property spreadsheet looks like in in my head and. Of course, that's always the preferred outcome for your client is they get all the liquidity and cash and the other side gets stuck with all the debt. But it's more to it than that. It's, you know, whose name is on the debt, who's responsible. If we assign the debt to the other spouse, how can we be sure that it's actually paid and doesn't bounce back and I mean, come back to haunt you after you think you've gotten rid of that? So it's actually a common common issue for discussion, as it should be, because it's important. So that's that's how I initially. Yeah, and I think on that end, you know, it's a, a, an important thing to consider is whose name is it in. And it's not necessary. I mean, if it's incurred during the marriage, it's going to be something that's going to be put on the spreadsheet. But that doesn't mean, but I still care about whose name it's in. You know, sometimes people have this misperception and like, well, that's his credit card debt or that's her credit card debt. It actually doesn't matter whose name it's in. If it's incurred during the marriage, it's, it's most likely going to go on the spreadsheet. Uh, but we need to know whose name it is because... You don't want a situation like you were alluding to, Brian, where, you know, I've got a credit card debt and it goes on my wife's side of the spreadsheet. Well, what if she doesn't pay it? The, the family code is very clear that a divorce decree doesn't affect third-party creditors. And what that means is 
you know, if my credit card's American Express, American Express doesn't care what my divorce decree says. American Express is looking at the debt being in my name. And so American Express could care less if my wife's ordered to pay it in the divorce decree. If the debt's not paid, it's going to go after me uh, to pay it. And so it's important when we divide the debts as much as possible that we try to have debts go in the column of the individual whose name it actually is in. If it's joint credit card, then we talk about closing the credit cards, you know, stuff like that, just so we make sure that there's not, you know, like Brian was saying, surprises down the road uh, because somebody doesn't pay a credit card debt that they were ordered to pay. And what's important to, to when you're thinking about that too, and Brian sort of alluded to this when talking about surprises, is, you know, divorce decree, even if we order somebody to pay it, you know, go back to my scenario where it's credit card debt, let's say some of it goes in my wife's column, it's in my name, the divorce decree can say, you know, my wife is ordered to pay that debt. Uh, it, okay, but the if she doesn't pay it, family code's very clear that the only enforcement remedy on that is that I can go sue her and get a judgment against her for it. Or most divorce decrees have what's called identification language. That means that she'd have to identify me if American Express comes after me. But it's just a judgment. It's an IOU. You can't hold somebody in contempt for not paying a debt, like a credit card debt in a divorce decree, a debt that's not child support or, or chapter eight spousal maintenance. You can't hold somebody in contempt for not paying it. So it, you know, people forget that step sometimes when they're doing their divorce, particularly when they're doing the divorce on their own. They think, okay, well, if I order somebody to pay it, they have to pay it, right? Well, they're liable for it, but that doesn't mean that a whole lot really actually happens to them if they don't pay it. So when sort of crafting that spreadsheet, you want to take that in consideration. That's why we, we drill down and try to figure out whose name the debt is actually in and then who's actually going to pay it. Talk to me, I guess, Brian, can you talk about how do we deal with uh, the debt of a mortgage? So if somebody gets the house, but a lot of times you see the mortgages in both, both spouses' name. How's that addressed in a divorce? I mean, ideally, you'd have whoever's going to keep the house, if that's going to happen, uh, you'd have that person refinance the mortgage in their name only to get the other spouse off of that mortgage. But that's often impractical. You know, typical Americans have two incomes and they both probably were required to get that mortgage to qualify. They probably qualified for the largest mortgage their two incomes could get. So now you take one of those away and they're not going to be able to qualify to refinance it. And so in that case, if it's not sold, then the person who doesn't have the house is going to still have their name on the mortgage. And that's a really uncomfortable situation. You don't, that's the biggest debt most people ever take out. And you're always going to be in fear that your ex-spouse is going to not pay their mortgage. And then as Jake alluded to, you can't, just because the decree says your ex-husband's supposed to pay the mortgage doesn't mean that the mortgage company isn't going to come after both of you, uh, or maybe even you, just you. So the, the solution to that, uh, it's not a perfect one, is typically what's called a deed of trust to secure assumption. It's a legal document, a deed that says, essentially, you know, if my ex-spouse doesn't, and both of you, that you and your ex-spouse would sign it and it says, if you don't, my ex-spouse doesn't make the mortgage payments on time and in the right amount, basically, I have the right to come in and force a foreclosure of it and force a sale of the home. That is really not something you want to be involved in. That's not pleasant. It's complex. It's difficult. And I've even seen courts at times really push back against that, especially if kids from the marriage are still in that home and they don't really want to have the kids kind of thrown out of their home. 
luckily, it rarely happens that people don't pay their mortgage, uh, especially if there's equity in the home. There's usually a pretty easy solution if there is. So that's the option. Not great, but more of a theoretical problem than an actual problem at times, unless you don't have the deed to secure assumption. In that case, you're just crossing your fingers every month, and that's not a good feeling. Yeah, I think sometimes the way I handle it is because it's, you know, it's the protecting your credit uh, so that the, your ex-spouse doesn't pay the, the mortgage. But it's also, and it's not as bad as it used to be during the housing crisis back in 2008, although with who knows what the COVID economy is going to do. But it's also the fact that you've, even if your ex is, has the house mortgage and your ex is paying the mortgage, you, it's still going to show up on your credit as having this huge liability on there. Most of my practical experience is that if you go out and buy a new house, most lenders understand that you're divorced and that's why it's showing up on your credit. But there was a time, and we may get back to this more and more, where stricter rules are out there and when uh, people aren't willing, companies aren't willing to uh, offer as much credit as they used to, and they'll be looking at that, that liability on there. And so that's something to consider as well. And, you know, something kind of a hybrid of what we've been talking about is what you can do is say, well, you know, I want the other spouse, they, they need to refinance within and give them a certain amount of time, six months, year. And that's something you negotiate in, in, a, uh, in a mediation and say, you know, the, the ex can go get his or her parents to co-sign or something like that. And you say, look, you've got a year, you got six months or a year to, to refinance. And then if you don't refinance in that time, then, then the house is going to be sold just to protect the, the spouse who isn't getting the house, protect his or her credit. And I guess sort of last thing to talk about, a common debt topic, in addition to, to credit cards and mortgages and stuff like that, is attorney's fees debt. People borrowing from family or borrowing from friends, putting attorney's fees on credit card. How's that addressed in a divorce, Brian? And it can be something uh, similar to what we talked about. You could uh, say, well, my, well, my ex-spouse is going to pay my lawyer the amount that I owe them. But sort of the same thing. If they decide not to, you may not, it may not happen. And it's very difficult to make someone pay that if they really don't want to, and they're willing to have a ding on their credit and don't have assets that you can get. And so again, you can be thinking, oh, I've, I've left my, I've taken care of my lawyer and, um, <laughs> and you haven't. So that can be a, it can be an unpleasant uh, surprise as, as is true with a lot of these, a lot of these. At one point we used to could assign at least some of these attorney fees as child support depending on certain circumstances, which made it really easy to collect, but that's become very difficult or impossible these days. So it's one of those things that, that can jump up and bite you if you're not careful. Yeah, I think that's, I, I try to have a discussion with clients about, because it sounds self-interested, but you actually don't want to be going into trial with a big attorney's fees about owed to your, your attorney. You know, say if you go into trial and you owe your lawyer, your divorce lawyer, $20,000, that that's a marital liability. It should go on the spreadsheet. It's amazing to me how many times I've had the discussion with the judge because the judge has the ability in a divorce to award attorney's fees, but that's attorney's fees. And this could be a whole different, a whole other podcast about how attorney's fees are dealt with in the divorce. And we should do that sometime, but attorney's fees, the court can do attorney's fees above and beyond the property division. A judge can divide up the property and say, well, and I think, I think the husband's side was being unreasonable. So above and beyond the property division, I'm going to make the husband pay $20,000 in attorney's fees, $50,000 in attorney's fees, something like that. 
but that's that's an above and beyond beyond the property division going into a divorce owing attorney's fees owing your law firm attorney's fees is different than that that sort of tag post property division uh it's a marital liability if i if i go into the final trial and i owe my my lawyer twenty thousand dollars that's a liability of the marital estate but it's amazing how many times i've had that discussion with the judge saying that needs to go on the spreadsheet so and so owes their attorneys attorney's fees that it needs to go on the spreadsheet it's a line item on the spreadsheet it's a debt owed and, and then having trial judges push back and go well no that's different i'm not going to award attorney's fees in this case and you say well i'm not asking you to award attorney's fees i'm asking you to recognize the marital liability which is how it should be and it's it's interesting how many times i've had a discussion with trial courts and usually been able to explain to them how it should be treated on the spreadsheet but it's it's a conversation you don't want to be having it's it makes really no logical sense, but walking into, if you pay your lawyer with a you know credit card or borrow money from your family, and you're walking into the divorce with a twenty thousand dollar, you know visa debt, that even though it's paid for for your lawyers, the judge is more likely to put that on the spreadsheet than if you just owe attorney's fees to the law firm that's representing you. Doesn't make any logical sense. It's just. It's, you know, and you see that more in counties where they don't have dedicated family law judges that see this day in and day out because it can be confusing. And so I I always try to advise my clients, even though it seems self-interested, don't go into court with a big attorney fee debt whenever you go into final trial. I advise, you know, both sides that because it it just adds a layer of confusion that you don't need to have. So, you know, a lot of times people do have to incur debt to be able to litigate um, because their estate may not be liquid or you know, there's there's not enough in the estate to compensate for a fight that may be happening over kids or something like that. And then the last thing I'll say on that is I always do advise people too, if, if you're going to borrow from family members, for whatever reason, judges are going to be more likely to recognize the debt if you get it in writing. So if you're borrowing $20,000 from your, your parents to pay for your divorce, sometimes we see people have to do that. Get, a, get something in writing from your from your parents that say, I'm borrowing this amount of money rather than there just be a check deposited in your account from your parents. Again, that doesn't necessarily make logical sense, but it, it's just one less item of discussion in a final divorce. And for whatever reason, it's just, I think it's just more of a psychological step that the judges are more likely to recognize a debt if it's in writing. Has that been your experience, Brian, as far as, you know, attorney's fees, debts, and borrowing from family and everything to, to pay for, pay for litigation? Uh- I, yeah, it is. And it's a problem because, you know, I think that there are people who borrow from their families to pay attorney fees, debts, or, or even living expenses, and, and they really intend, and their families intend for them to pay it back. And I'm not sure judges always see it that way. I mean, it's kind of a little bit of a mind reading. And there's other people who do the opposite, who never you know, treat it like a debt, and it's uh, probably never going to pay it back. And uh, it, can be, it can be confusing. It's, it's best not to go down that path. But a lot of times you don't have a choice. Like I said, divorce is a financial disaster for most Americans, usually one party for sure, and often both. And, and you have to rely on friends and family sometimes. Uh, so there you go. It's, you're stuck sometimes. Yeah, not a fun topic to talk about. But, you know, unfortunately, sometimes people are coming to us and, you know, you're damage controlling. It's just like, like you were saying, Brian, it's just not nobody it's rare i guess i shouldn't say nobody it's rare to financially benefit from a divorce from either side and so that's just part of that discussion and you really are just trying to you know make a make a bad situation as as best as you can and not make a lot of common errors that we see 
you know, people do when they're pro se and representing themselves or frankly see lawyers do. I mean, I don't know how many times, Brian, you've seen, but people come with a divorce decree and it's just, you're looking at it's like, was anybody thinking about the future when they, when they drafted this up or negotiated this? So it's just one of those things that pops up in a divorce that if you're, you're not thinking about it or you don't have a lawyer who's thinking about that type of stuff, then it really can jump up and bite you. Even if it's five, 10 years down the road, uh, it really can have a significant impact on your, on kind of the financial makeup after, after the divorce. So not anybody's favorite topic, uh, but something that that's important for us to talk about. So I think that was good for this episode and maybe we'll talk about a cheerier subject next time.